0: esther chapter 4 beginning in verse 1 the heading there says mordecai persuades esther to help when mordecai learned of all that had been done he tore his clothes he put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly but He went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathach, one of the king's eunuchs assigned to attend her and ordered him out to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathach went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show Esther and to explain to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and to plead with him for her people. Hathach went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and all the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned by the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends his gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But thirty days have passed since I was called to go into the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house that you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent for this time, relief and deliverance from the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who were in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of esther's instructions let's say our scripture declaration together lord we honor your word to us may you, your truth become our hearts pursuit and our life's practice heavenly father as pastor comes forward to deliver the word that you have prepared for him to deliver open our eyes our our ears and our hearts to hear from you in your holy name we pray amen
1: okay so before you leave Thank you so much for preaching for me when I was gone, uh, gone away on vacation. Didn't Eric just do a fantastic job? Let's hear it for him. Great job. Thank my, you so much. My
0: honor and my pleasure. So well, thanks for the opportunity.
1: We, we love to hear from a different perspective and a different voice, uh, just God's word. And I thought you did a phenomenal job. And uh, thank you again and again. You'll have another opportunity, because I'm not always here, but even when that uh, time comes, we may be having you do some preaching while I am here, because honestly, you're just doing a fantastic job, and God is speaking through you. I shared all this personally, but I think it needs to be done in front of folks, because we really appreciate the way that you let God use you in an awesome way. Man, I'm excited once again to be able to share with you from the story of Esther, and I love the story of Esther so much. Uh, It is... Absolutely a phenomenal story, and today is kind of one of the high points. If you were looking at the book of Esther, it is definitely almost like a script for a movie or a script for a TV show you know you can almost even hear like the the music swelling with a soundtrack in the background or something it's just always something that just feels very different and very much as uh, as if somebody wrote a screenplay it's amazing and so I just encourage you if you have not go back and read it it's only ten chapters and the tenth chapter is about three or four sentences and that's it it is just a quick read but it is an amazing story of God's grace. Now, if you remember from the very beginning, we talked about how there is no express and, you know, exactly laid out mention of God's name in Esther, but man, his fingerprints are all over it. And you do not want to miss what God has done and what God continues to do in this story. Now, here's where we've been. We've been kind of through a few of these and I talked last week, uh, pardon me, uh, Eric talked two weeks ago about Haman's hatred, pride, and prejudice. We talked about the connected and courageous father that Mordecai was on Father's Day. We talked about Queen Esther's strength and dignity and how God's unseen providence, even without his name being mentioned, was always there and always at work. Now today, as we kind of move on, we see you. For such a time as this is the lesson that we're going to be teaching and preaching through today. And it is all about Mordecai calling Esther out and saying, I need you, I need you to be involved in what God is doing. And you have probably come to the place where you are in personal contact with the most powerful man in the entire world today. For such a time as this, this if you remember what Eric spoke about last week, was when Haman kind of comes on the scene. And it's very, very interesting. If you guys will stick with me and hang with me, I'm gonna point out some things that God was already working out the provision for his plan to be accomplished before Haman was even elevated to a place where he would ever even be known as a guy who had the kind of power and influence to even threaten the Jews, much less come this close to annihilating them. So let's go to this next slide and check this out. And this is the one to remember. This is the one verse that if you were only going to memorize one verse and remember what God's word says, this one is worth memorizing word for word. It is one that Eric just read from Esther chapter four, verse four. And this is Mordecai talking to Esther. And he says, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews is going to arise from another place. In other words, we don't have to have you because God's will is going to get accomplished even without you. But just know that God has maybe put you in a place where you can save your family and our entire nation. And don't, forget that for some strange and unforeseen reason, you've come to a place where you literally know intimately the man who is the most powerful man on earth, the man who can undo this thing that is about to cost the Jews an annihilation on the, on the verge of like what Hitler tried to do in Europe in the 1930s and 40s. And you probably have come to this place for such a time as this very crisis. It's a powerful word. It is probably the theme verse of this entire book. And so I encourage you, it just gets, if you're going to remember one verse, this is it. It's Esther chapter 4, verse 14. Now let's go on and kind of remember what we're dealing with. Edward Everett Hale said these words. He said, "I am only one, but still, I am one, and I cannot do everything. But since I still can do something, I will not be able to do everything, but I will not refuse to do the one thing that I can do. What he's trying to say with this is so many of us allow ourselves to say, well, I can't make a big, huge difference, so why should I even try? Or nobody's really going to care if I do or if I don't. But the truth of the matter is, is for most of us, we are doing that very thing that he says, don't do it. He's saying, don't forget that you might not be able to do everything, but if you can only do one thing, don't you dare miss out on doing that one thing. Now, here's what I would share with you. This is exactly what Mordecai said to Esther in modern language. Esther, you might not be able to do every single thing, but here's what we do know. You can do something. And so, if you can do something, don't dare sit on your hands. Don't sit on the sidelines. Don't wait for someone else to be the one who does something for God. You never know what God is able to do with just one person dedicated to his plan and his purpose. That's basically what he's saying here. And this is exactly what Mordecai was basically saying in Esther chapter 4, verse 14. And let me tell you this this entire message is going to be built around this idea. What about you? For such a time as this, now I've been talking a lot about history, and you might be thinking, Well, what do I care about history, man? I mean, what do I care about something that happened in 475 BC? I mean, why in the world? Because here is the important lesson that you just can't forget. If you have something going on in your kingdom, not your kingdom, not your the king or anything like that, but in your little world whether it's with your kids, whether it's with your grandkids, whether it's with your parents or extended family, whether it's with your job, I have no idea what's going on in your little kingdom, but here is what I know. If you will allow God to be included in that, he can do miraculous things. And you can look back after the fact and see his fingerprints all over it. But here is the problem. For most of us, we're caught up in what we can't do We're caught up in the obstacles against us, and so we choose not to do something that we could have done that God might have taken and used for an incredible purpose. Now, I could go on and on and on and on about that, but if you guys are with me, y'all can say amen, and I'll move on to the next point. Are you guys with me? Amen? Yeah, I knew. I always get the best amens when I tell you I'm going to move on. How dare you? This is true. This is a truism. We cannot miss it. We've got to remember that if we can make a difference in any small way, God can multiply it. And we had best be faithful to do the thing that he has enabled and called us to do. And then watch God be God. You know, you and I are not called to be God. That's just not our thing. But we are called to be on his team and to work with him. All right, so let's keep moving here. I hate to move too fast because somebody is in there taking a picture, and I love it when y'all take pictures. I really do. It's me, right? Y'all taking a picture of me? Oh, the, the screen. Okay, all right, all right. Seriously, I love it when y'all take a picture of the screen. It's all good, and it's a, always a good reminder. And here is what I want to remind you of. We go to this next slide. There are tons of examples in God's Word where he talks about just one person, not the group, not the, not the nation, not everyone, not all of this cool group of people he's he talks about one and the sad thing is is that often he finds even just one lacking in isaiah 59 verse 15b through 16 the lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice and he saw that there was no what's the next word no one no one not a single one he was appalled that there was no one to intervene so his own arm achieved salvation for himself. His own righteousness sustained him. He just needed one, and he found not a single one. Go to this next slide here. In Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap. That's where we get our gap. God answers prayer, standing in the gap for other brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, I look for somebody who would build up the wall, stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. You guys read that last part of that line with me. But I found no one, not a single one. What is God saying in his word over and over? He says, I'm not looking for a group. I'm not looking for an organization. I'm even not looking for a nation. I'm just looking for one, sometimes just one person. And in that one person that we find ourselves lacking We suffer as a people because of it. Now, here's what I would say. Dads, I'm gonna put this on you. If you knew that God was looking down on your family and he said, I was just looking for one person in that family to be fully and very dedicated to me and accomplishing my purposes in that family, but I found no one. Men, we love to be the leaders. We love to talk about being the leader of the home. Let me tell you something. Get on your knees and ask that the Lord would be a blessing in your family. Get busy and roll up your sleeves and do the things that you know he's called you to do. If you want to be a leader, be the man of the house in this way, where you're the one who's the chief cheerleader of everybody, who you're the one who reminds people that we serve God in this family. This is what we do. Don't put it off and don't let someone else be a part of it. If you are able, well, somebody else will do it. I know my wife, she's really into that Jesus stuff, so I'm just going to let her do it. No. Men, if we want to be leaders, let's begin in our homes. Women, if your husbands will not take that leadership, or even if they do, get in there with them. Lock arms. How much more powerful are you if you're two? But if they will not, you do what has to be done. Women have always stepped into the gap. This whole book is about a woman who is marginalized, who is an orphan, who has no business doing anything that would make an impact for forever. But yet she does because God has poured out on her a special blessing, has opened doors for her. Don't ever say, well, I'm not this. I'm not that. And don't for sure say, well, I'm not a man, so I could never be that influential. Man, that's, that's stuff that we realized for a long time is not true. There have been women who were the spiritual leaders in their homes for centuries and millennia. It's so true. So whatever you do, don't say, well, it's somebody else's job. Maybe that's true. But don't leave it undone. I've always said, and I I hope you understand where I'm coming from. The truth of the matter is, is that you can say it's somebody else's job, but you're still the one who's got to live with the life that is missing that piece and that part You can say it's somebody else's job and it's somebody else's fault, but you're still the one looking around and going, I don't like this life that I've got. I don't like this home and the way that my children are being brought up. I don't like this and it's somebody else's job to change it. Man, do not do that. Because here's what I know. If you wait for somebody else to do that job, it may never, ever, ever get done. And if that's true, then you roll up your sleeves, you get involved, and you let God use you in amazing and powerful ways. And then just watch and see what he's able to do. Okay, so as we move forward, let's just make sure we understand. Before Haman, there was Hitler. Uh, Or before Hitler, there was Haman, excuse me, I got that wrong. Um, And so if you remember, Haman is the, he's the guy in this story who wants to annihilate the Jews to exterminate them altogether. And he is the one who is trying to do that. And he is trying to kill every Jew in the entire Persian Empire. And let's go to this next slide here. I want us to just kind of make sure we get it. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Eric did an awesome job of talking about this. Go back and listen to the uh, sermon on the last Sunday of June to go back and see where this hatred comes from. But instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. Now, that ain't just a few folks. That ain't just a handful of people, because this is actually what the map looks like of the Persian empire during the time of Esther. That is basically almost all of the Middle East that we know, maybe minus Saudi Arabia. There's Literally, hundreds of thousands of peoples whose life are at stake. Now, let's go on with this something to learn here. Let's talk about it. There's an unchangeable law on the books to exterminate the whole Jewish race in chapter 3, verse 13. And Esther herself, a Jew, has not yet revealed her ethnicity. She doesn't do that until 7, 3, and 4. You guys understand what's going on here? You all with me so far? In other words, there's a law on the books that's going to kill every Jew, but Esther doesn't have to speak up and say, oh, that's my people. Because she is living incognito. Mordecai raised her and said, don't tell everybody your ethnicity. And we don't know why she was keeping that a secret. We don't know why he told her to wait and tell people that. But here's what we do know. God's fingerprints all over that decision. Because right now, as Mordecai is saying, the Jews are all in problems. They're all having issues and concern because they're 11 months from being annihilated. Do you remember what he said in that 4.14, that one to remember? Don't think you alone are going to escape. Just because you haven't told people who you are... They they don't know that you're a Jew, but that doesn't mean that that bit of information won't come out, and your life is still in danger, even if you're trying to lay low. In other words, he's saying, you have to get off the sidelines. What she's thinking, I'm sure, is nobody even knows that I'm a Jew. Maybe I don't have to say a word, because the minute that I open my mouth and I say, hey, Xerxes, hey husband, hey king, you know that law that you sign that says every Jew's getting annihilated? Guess who that includes? That includes me, your wife, that you chose from all of these people. But in doing so, she's putting her own life squarely in the crosshairs. Do you understand? If she keeps quiet, she might get away with it. Mordecai says no. She's probably thinking maybe. But if she opens her mouth, she is definitely in the crosshairs. Here is where we see Esther for the heroine that she is. She decides that she will not keep her mouth shut. That she is going to speak up. And literally her life is on the line twice. It's about to be on the line twice. The very first one is this. She hadn't revealed her ethnicity. Now she does. There's a law already on the books that's unchangeable. She's in the crosshairs. You guys with me? Now let's go to this second something to learn. This is really important. Esther changed a law of King Xerxes later. You know, just spoiler alert, she does. She wins. But here's what happens. It's a testament to God's power at work through her, a woman, where a woman was relegated to being basically a, a beauty queen and nothing else at that time. She does incredible things. She shatters the glass ceiling, makes an influence on policy. But the scepter reminds us of that glass ceiling. It's a woman's obstacles. Do you guys understand? Let's go to this next slide and maybe you can kind of grasp what I'm saying. This is the way that it was portrayed in a movie. And if you look closely, that's Esther standing before Xerxes. It's all from somebody's idea and mind of what it might've looked like. But if you look closely at Xerxes, by the way, Shelly, if you're wondering how you want to redo my man cave at home, that will work. That, that works. Not too austi- you know. Not too much. It's probably not. Maybe a smaller lion, but definitely a lion. Because she was asking, you know, at least I thought she was. Anyway, if you see Xerxes standing underneath that lion, you see something in his hand. That's the scepter. That's kind of the, the, the symbol of power for a king in that time. And so she has just said to Mordecai, she's already said, you know, the truth is, is that you're wanting me to go into his presence and just tell him, hey, undo this law. But dad, Mordecai, truth be told, you don't get it. You don't know how things work around here. So let me make sure that you get how things work. And you go to this next slide and it basically just lays it out all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned the king has but one law that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their life but 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king do you see what's going on She's in the crosshairs because she's a Jew the minute she opens her mouth. Mordecai says, get in there and tell him you can't let this happen. Tell him he's got to change the law. She says, man, you don't get it. Maybe in your mind you think, man, we're just chilling together. We're hanging out. We're watching Netflix every night. That is not what we're doing. All right, Netflix. Just seeing if y'all are paying attention. Here's the truth. She says, he hasn't called me to his chamber For us to be together, intimately or otherwise, for 30 days. Maybe he just didn't like the way that things ended last time. Maybe he is not really into me anymore. Maybe he's found a new favorite. Maybe he doesn't want me around anymore. 30 days have passed. And you might not know this, but if I just walk into his chamber and he hasn't called me, he's in the middle of something, he happens to be angry or aggravated. If he doesn't extend that gold scepter... The guards will grab me, take me off, and my life is over. You guys with me? Her life's on the line twice. This is what makes it so powerful when she says, I'm going to do it. This is the ask, this is the -the over-the-top request that Mordecai puts squarely in her court and says, you've got to do something. She's like, but you don't understand the minute I open my mouth about my heritage or the minute that I walk into his presence, both of those things could make me done, finished, gone, and then what will happen? Mordecai says, you've got to do it. She says, I'm not going in there without divine help you fast, you pray you get every single Jew that you can find in the entire capital city and have them pray, have them fast for me and then we'll go in together fasting and praying that God would allow me to live this is why Esther's so amazing this is why she's so cool she's an amazing woman who has bravery for days and I want to mention something, don't miss this now I say don't miss this but I I shouldn't have said don't miss this because we're going to do don't miss this a few times later, but hang with me. Here is what I'm trying to say. Mordecai has been thinking about this for days. Esther hears about it and minutes later says, I will not stay on the sidelines any longer. I'm in. I'm scared to death, but I'm in. This is why Esther is amazing. This is why Esther is inspiring. This is why God chose this woman of character, dignity, strength, smarts, emotional, intelligence. I mean, she's got it all. Oh, by the way, she's also one of the most beautiful women in the entire world. She's got it all. And God is using her, even in the midst of her fear. All right, now very quickly... Let's go on to this big idea, and I want you guys to say it out loud with me in a minute. Self-preservation is the, that's the way you pronounce the when it's in italicized, you know. I almost put the E-E so you would catch it, but then I thought, y'all already think I can't spell because I've got spell check ruined on this program, so I end up having crazy spellings. I couldn't risk it, but what that means is self-preservation is the obstacle to a life lived for a greater purpose. It is the obstacle to a life lived for a greater purpose. So let's say this together very quickly. And when we come to that line that says the, y'all go the with me. All right, here we go. Self-preservation is the obstacle to a life lived for a greater purpose. In other words, Esther says, I can't do it. I just can't do it. I want to be that kind of brave woman, but I'm just simply not I can't do it, then the greater purpose that God placed her in that place for, in that position for, all goes away, and she has an opportunity to save tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of Jews, and it all goes away. Why? Because she preserved her own life, did what was best for her, but not what was best for all the others. Now, very quickly, you and I know this stuff. This is really important. There's stuff that's in her hands and not in her hands. This is what's not in their hands right now. They can't change Haman's hatred and his prejudice. They can't. There's an unchangeable law. The law of the Medes and Persians gets written, and it doesn't get undone. They can't change it. It's already been written into law. There's a half-truth that's being the basis of this law. So they could rail and, ah, it's not fair, it's unjust, this shouldn't be happening. I can't believe somebody did something so unfair to us. And then Esther hasn't been summoned for a month like we just talked about. And then Mordecai, do you remember Mordecai at the end of chapter 2? He hears of the conspiracy and he tells those who are around the king, they save the king's life. They write it down in the chronicles of the king Xerxes, you know, era. But he never gets honored. Now, hit pause for just a second. If that happens to you, you save the king's life by hearing and reporting a conspiracy, and nobody even comes by and goes, a boy!" Like, you just never hear another word. What are you beginning to think? Well, I guess... He hates Jews because he wants to kill them all. And then on top of that, I saved his life, but he didn't do one single thing to say thanks. Not a single thing at all. Do you understand what's going on? Think about this in your mind. Where would your mind go? Probably there. This is not in their hands. But what is in their hands? Let's talk about that very quickly. Esther's possible audience with the king. She has a way of getting from outer courts into inner throne room because they're like, Well, that's the queen. She's going in there. She's maybe taking a risk, but she's going. And I can't tell the queen what to do. What about this? She, she's been silent on her Jewish heritage. And that's probably a good thing at this point. But then also Mordecai's exposure of the conspiracy and Mordecai never being honored. So Mordecai did something. He's a Jew. He did something to save him. But He's never been honored. Now, notice, I didn't screw up and put it on two slides accidentally. That's one of those things that cuts both ways. Do you see what I'm saying? He was never honored. What's up with that? Not in their hands. But something in their hands is, he's never honored. You owe him one. It cuts both ways. And how many times is information in your life and in mine that we're ready to say, this is terrible, this is awful, this is a strike against me, and we never stop and think that sometimes that strike against you can be a home run for you as well. Have y'all ever seen that happen? It's true. I, I tell my kids all the time, this is what's going on in your generation. These are things that you need to worry about, but you barely have to be decent at this thing to stand out like an amazing child, an amazing kid. All you gotta do is just be a little better than, than anyone else and it will be like a, wow. So is it a strike against them? Yes. Is it a possible home run for them? Yes. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? It's the question of how will you interpret it and then God's already promised to protect his people. He already promised that he would do that. He already said he would watch for his people. Now, very quickly, let's go to this next slide. This was part one's big idea. God never stops working his plan for his glory and for your good, for my good, if we are Christians. If we are not Christians, this doesn't apply. Unfortunately, I wish I could tell you that it did, but it does not. The Bible tells us those that are called according to God's purpose, those are followers of his. He works everything in your life for his good and his plan and also for your good, even if it's difficult. But it is not a promise that that is happening in every person's life because not every single one of us have committed our heart and life to the Lord. But if you do, you have this as a part of your own promise that's been given to you. Let's go to this next slide. And now I'm at my don't miss this. And yes, truth be told, I have three. Here's one. As much as Esther is the heroine of this story, Mordecai's the hero. He's the one who calls out of Esther a level that she does not know that she even has within her. Here's what I mean. How many of you have ever had somebody... In in Christian lingo, you know what they call it? They say, somebody's speaking over me. Somebody's speaking over me. That's what they call it in Christian lingo. Basically, what they mean is somebody sees something in you spiritually and they speak about it instead of remaining silent. I don't believe in many ways that I am nearly the man that I should be. Nor the leader that I should be. But I will tell you that there were people that spoke over me things that I didn't see about myself even when I was a teenage kid. Now you may think, well, who cares? I, I'm just telling you that I believe that I'm probably standing behind this pulpit today preaching and teaching the Word of God in large part because there were people that saw something in me that I didn't even think existed. They would say things, and I would go, I don't see that at all. They're crazy. And yet, my life has kind of followed the path of the things that they called out in me before it ever was visible to me. I don't necessarily expect you to understand fully what I'm trying to say, but maybe you've had a similar experience where somebody came along and said, you know what, have you ever noticed this about you? Have you ever noticed how people respond when you do that thing that you do? Have you ever noticed how people treat you differently in this way or that way? Have you ever noticed how people listen when you speak differently than when other people speak? Do you understand what I'm saying? This is the thing. God is calling stuff in you to teach his word or to teach people in your circle of influence, teach your kids. What about the being the encourager that you're supposed to be? Have you ever noticed how when you say that kind of stuff, people listen, they don't think you're fake or phony, they think you're telling them the truth and it seems like you lift their spirits. Like this is, I I could give you a long, long, long list of God's gifts to human beings that he has said that he's done in his family. And you have one of them. And maybe you've had somebody call it out, and you dismissed it. And you said, they don't know what you're talking about. I mean, I don't even get it. I don't believe you. I don't think it's true. It's an interesting dynamic, isn't it? That the Bible tells us in Esther, that Esther, everybody that she came in contact with, they just wanted to see her do good. They wanted to be in her corner. They wanted to be on Team Esther. Everybody did. And every single person who had no reason just kept wanting to put her and promote her and put her in the best position possible. How is that possible? It's possible because God said, I've got a purpose for you. Now stop and just think about this. Stop thinking about Esther. Think about you. What do you do? What have people said to you About how you act and react, and how you do things differently than other people, and how people respond differently to when you do that thing. And when that happens, have you maximized that for God's purposes, or have you dismissed it thinking they're crazy? You guys with me? Y'all understand what I'm saying? But here's the problem most of us are into self preservation. I would never do that because I'm too embarrassed. Self-preservation. I would never do those things. I would never go so far and be so bold as to say these things. Because I would just feel stupid if it didn't happen. Self-preservation. Do you see how self-preservation and a life of purpose, conflict, it is the obstacle The obstacle of you and I living a life of purpose is preserving ourself in our own minds or in front of other people. I won't do it because what if I fail self-preservation? I could go on and on, but I've got a couple of slides real quickly about what it looks like when we talk about self-preservation. I believe those are my next slides. If they're not, I tell you what, can we just jump to them? Can we just jump to uh, preservation versus purposes? It's so important. What do I want to do? That's a preservation question. Purpose says, what should I do? Preservation says, what makes me happy right now in this moment? Purpose says, what makes me joyful long-term? If you guys know that's something different most of the time, can y'all say amen? It's true, right? When you do what you know you should do, it might not be like, I'm really happy right now, but later you have this feeling of settledness and peace and joy. Self-preservation says, does this benefit me? Purpose says, does this benefit others? Esther, right there, boom, Esther, right there. Does this benefit me? No, it puts me in the crosshairs twice. Does this benefit others? Yeah, it could mean the salvation of my entire people. So I will do what I need to do. Can I possibly do it later? To be honest with you, this is the one that most of us in 2021 had better tackle Can I possibly do it later? Yes. The likelihood is you will not do it later. You let yourself off the hook. And the purpose says, why would I put off this opportunity? Because I might be able to do it twice. (laughs) I might be able to do it twice. All right, well, let's move on very quickly. Esther chapter four, verse 15 and 16. Esther sends this reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews who are in Susa, that's the city, the capital city, fast for me don't eat or drink for three days night or day and i and my attendants will fast just like you are and when this is done i will go to the king even though it is against the law and what does she say at the end and if i perish i perish this is like patrick henry you know uh this is like winston churchill kind of stuff I'll die on my shield before I say I won't get involved, right? This is I have, you know, great regret that I only have one life to give for the cause of my country. This is that kind of thing. This is, this is the finest hour that I have to give. If I perish, I perish. My life matters not if I can accomplish God's purpose with my life. Heroic words for sure. Now, I'm going to jump forward and I want to look back and see something from Esther chapter 2 and Esther chapter 3. And we don't need to forget that God says his ways are higher than ours and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But I want to jump to where we're going to look back and see something from Esther chapter 2 and Esther chapter 3. I don't know if you can see that slide on there, Sabrina, but if you can, very quickly... She was taken to King Xerxes in the royal residence in the 10th month, in the 7th year of his reign. Everybody say 7. Did you guys go to sleep? Come on. 7. And then it goes on to verse 3. And in the 12th, everybody say twelfth. Very good. So I know I failed math. I don't math good. That's just kind of how I do. But 12 minus 7 is roughly... Four years where the months fall. Five, but it's four where the months fall. Late in one year, early in the next. So it's roughly four. So it says this is all when it's happening. We get the sense. Now let's go to this next slide. Esther's in place for basically five plus years because if you remember and you go back and look, it says that Esther was brought into the citadel in in Susa and then she was given 12 months of beauty treatments before she even saw the king. You guys with me? Say, got it. So approximately four years, five months, plus that one year of prep, so about five and a half years, give or take. Can I tell you something? This is so important. This is why I say God's fingerprints are all over this book. Because before Haman even is known by name, before Haman even comes to the place where he has some power to do something against the Jews, five years before God is already putting in place the means and the person who will step forward and save his people before there was even something to be afraid of. Now, I don't know about you, but that gives me chills. Chills to think about the fact that God answered the prayer before it was even known to be needing prayer. There are things in your life that God has already been arranging and orchestrating and his fingerprints are all over it. What an incredible God we serve and what a bunch of wusses we are when we act like, well, we don't know how things are going to get fixed. It's called God. God's going to do it. I don't know how, but God will do it. God will bring this unrelated thing and that unrelated thing and that thing that doesn't matter to anybody and then that thing that almost got forgotten and he's gonna bring it all together and it's all gonna fall into place and we'll go, are you kidding me? And we'll go, only God could do something like that. Only God could do something like that. Only God could bring a woman who was an orphan and probably was gonna live on the streets, but a guy came into her life and said, no, 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 You're my family, I'm gonna raise you like my own daughter. And then he puts her in the place where she becomes known to the king, and then she wins the beauty contest of 127 territories of the Persian kingdom. And then, five years later, she has that same man that said, I raised you, and I raised you to know that God has his fingerprints all over your life, that you are called for a purpose, You've got to go in there and lay your life on the line. And this woman, instead of saying, no, I'm a queen now. I don't want to lose that. She says, you're right. God is in this and I will do it. And if I perish, what's the next line? I perish. No self-preservation, only God participation. That's it. Can I get an amen on that? Come on now. Amen. All right. All right. All right. All right. Here's what I don't want you to miss. I think I've already shared this with you. I'm going to move on to the big question, and then I'm going to close. What area of your own life do you unconsciously think that God is not going to or that God is not able to work in? Is it something in your relational situation? Is it something in your financial situation? Is it something in your physical situation Is it something emotionally going on with you? And you think, well, God's not going to be involved in that. God's not going to change that. I I just want to remind you that if God could do all of these things with, for, and through Esther, your stuff and my stuff sure feels like small potatoes, doesn't it? (laughs) That's that's an oaky term. You guys might not be familiar with it, but that basically means it ain't no big deal. Stuff that I got going in my life ain't no big deal compared to what he's already done. And by the way, don't miss it. Man, God has already brought you so far. If he's already brought you this far, it wasn't like he said, I'm going to get them to that point. But then they're on their own. No, he's already brought you so far. Don't miss it. He's with you still. Here's how you apply this message. I apply by one important area where you've begun to think and act on preservation and not purpose. Now, normally I ask you to go and make an action, but in this particular thing, I want you to think about it. Maybe in your habits, maybe in your relationships, maybe in your financial life, maybe in your emotional life. I don't know where it is, but I would ask you to think hard. Where have you started acting on preservation and ceased to act on purpose? And can I just be blunt? and honest with you man I ain't gonna blame all this on COVID but for the last 15 to 18 months we've been told think preservation think preservation think preservation and I'm not here to talk about anything I know it's important that we be wise I know all of that stuff but there is also a subtle shift and a side effect Where the most important determining factor is not doing what is good, not doing what is right, not doing what helps others. It's just what you want to do when you want to do it. Not if it's right or good or positive. I hope you guys can hear. Please just give me the benefit of the doubt. I know anytime you mention anything with this stuff, it automatically draws these lines and they're like, oh. He's just, I know, I am. I'm horrible. I get it. But here's the thing. The truth is is that our world is telling us more and more and more and more that it is all about us. And it is all about what we want, not what we can see God doing through us. So important that we grasp that you have to hear the noise, but you have to block some of that stuff out and go, you know what? Everybody in this world has given me permission to put me at the center of my life, and I just simply will not do it. Instead, I'm going to put God at the center, and whatever he leads me to do, that's what I'm going to do. Honestly, I didn't think I'd get an amen on that, but I hope you will hear it from where I'm coming from. It's not political. It really is not. It's just that our mindset and our world is shifting because of what's happened recently. Pay attention. All right. I am ending this message and everybody said, amen, I know, I, I right. I get it, but here is where I'm going to end it. I'm going to show you a couple of pictures of some people that you probably don't know. I actually heard this story on a podcast, and this story that I'm going to tell you is not a political statement either. We've had government agencies, Republican and Democrat, that were notoriously bad, have huge gaps where policy, where the wrong stuff happens, and The right and wrong gets twisted around, so this is not political. But there is a man who is actually living in the grand metropolis of Iowa right now. And he is a former interpreter from Afghanistan. Now, you guys have been hearing about the troop drawdown, right? Y'all have been hearing about that. So that's happening right now. And one of the things that they're trying to do is figure out, okay, those who are leaving Afghanistan... What does it look like as they try to seek asylum and political asylum and things? There is a man named Zalway uh, Niazi, Niazi, and he's an Afghan interpreter living in Iowa, seeking asylum and seeking to become a citizen. Unfortunately for him, when he was nine years old, the Taliban came to his village, threatened to burn his family's house if they did not give them, the Taliban fighters, bread. eat when he did that at age 9 he was labeled someone who gave material support to a terrorist organization he was labeled as engaging in terrorist activity at age 12 he began to memorize the English dictionary passed up chances to go to university so that he could become an interpreter for the U.S. soldiers fighting in Afghanistan. He said these words, I said to myself, I will stand for the U.S. soldiers. I will serve my country of Afghanistan. And at the age of 19, I became an interpreter for the U.S. military. He's been shot in the line of duty. And he's trying to be granted asylum. And he was asked the question, he said, well, what would you do? if you could go back and undo or redo parts of your life. And I'm going to read to you exactly what he said. He said, everything that I've faced and everything that my family is facing is all because I served with the U.S. troops and I was doing what the Taliban said was wrong. But listen to what he said. But I would do it again many times if God gives me life. I will serve humanity and I will do what is right and do what is known to be right. It gives me chills. He may as well have said, if I perish, I perish. He just wants to live a life of purpose. Now, I just believe with all of my heart that we are not more than one, but we are one. And we cannot do everything, but we can do something. And since we can do something, we as God's people should say, I will not shirk the responsibility. I will not walk away from the one thing that I can do that God might be able to take and bless and multiply in amazing ways. I will not leave it undone. Far too many of us have left it undone because we're self-preserving. We're worried about what does my life look like if I put my life on the line? If I stop worrying about me first, what does that look like? It might just look like something powerful and heroic in small ways and maybe even grander than that. But it is your choice and your decision. You have to say, No more self-preservation, only God participation. Heavenly Father, you are powerful and you are great. Use your word to challenge and bless us. In Jesus' name we pray.